Well, it's good to have you guys here this morning. And uh, you know, we've been talking about our magnificent obsession. And that's what I'd like to continue with uh, here this morning. But let me ask you, how many <clears throat> wise men were there who, you know, showed up down there in Bethlehem you know, after the birth of Christ? Three? You know, maybe. I'm not exactly sure biblically if there was actually three. We usually think there are three, mainly because uh, there were three gifts. You remember what they were? Gold, Frankenstein, what did you say? Oh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay. Uh, sorry about that. Okay. But uh, the, these three wise men, or uh, they very likely were three kings, you know, magi, uh, but there may have been many, many more, actually, who uh, were traveling with them. I see lights moving on and off. Who's flipping them lights over there, guys? Is those lights supposed to be on? Yes or no? They're not. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. So what was we talking about? Oh, yeah. Frankenstein or something or another. No. Nah. But, uh, you know, you can't really imagine that three kings would have traveled for maybe up to two years across very dangerous terrain just by themselves, you know, carrying extremely valuable, you know, uh, gifts and things like that. So there could have been many in this whole caravan, very likely, very possible. But I would uh, acknowledge that these guys understood our magnificent obsession. If it took them maybe up to two years maybe to get there to give these gifts to a king and they followed a star not knowing where they were going they just followed the star you know there so what we're talking about is our magnificent obsession these kings these wise men had this magnificent obsession to be there and to bring these gifts to another king to the son of God actually now many Americans tend to and they were coming to worship. Many Americans tend to worship their work. You know what I'm talking about? They have a tendency to work really hard at their play, and they have a tendency to play at their worship. And as a result, you know, their values are very distorted because they've got things kind of all out of whack. But the word worship is talking about the occupation of the heart, not with his needs, that's prayer, not with the blessings, that would be praise, but worship is the occupation of the heart with God himself. And uh, that's what we're trying to talk about here a little bit. So think about it. What are you occupied with most often? You know, what are you busy with? What are you uh, engaged in? What are you taken with? Think about that. Worship could be pronounced worth-ship, W-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P, worth-ship, basically acknowledging, you know, worth to the one who is genuinely worthy. And let's read it in uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. It says, the 24 elders, this is giving us a little glimpse into heaven, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one who lives forever and ever 
and they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, and, and, and think about this for just a moment. You understand the crowns? It says that they laid their crowns. Do you know you and I will have opportunity to lay crowns down before the Lord one day? And our crowns are, are really not something that we're going to wear. We think of it that way often. But as I understand the scriptures, you know, uh, we acquire our, our crowns by what we do here on earth. And one day, along with these guys, we will bow down before the Lord and basically say, I love you this much. This is what I have given of my life and my time, my energy, my resources to love you and to serve you. And the crowns that we acquire while we're here, one day we will lay them before him, you know, and declare our love and our, our worship to the almighty God. So it says here, let me back up. <clears throat> Verse 10 says, the four of the 24 elders fall down and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy. This is worship. You are worthy, O Lord of our, uh, O Lord, our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created everything. And it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. God created everything for his pleasure, even you. But then all the things he created to bless you and me, that's for his pleasure. Don't you like to bless your kids and grandkids, you know? It pleases you to bless them. And all of his creation, it pleases him. And he created things to bless us because that pleases him. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it says, And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and open it, for you were killed and your blood has ransomed people. Now, now who, who was killed? So I'm at Jesus. For you were killed and your blood has ransomed people. Ransom is talking about payment, payment to, to, to rescue, payment to, to set free, to, to grant you liberty. That's what he's talking about here. Let me read it again, verse 9. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you are killed and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. He's worthy to, to be acknowledged. He's worthy to be worshipped. And he says every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. That's everybody. Every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet. That's what he's talking about. His blood was shed to ransom everyone. Everyone, it's, it's God's will that we all come to know him in a personal way, to be honest with you. Picking up here in verse 10, it says, And you have caused them to become God's kingdom, all these people, and his priest, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked again, and I heard the singing of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and the living beings and the elders. And they sang, in a mighty chorus, the lamb is worthy. The lamb who was killed, 
He is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they also sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped God, the Father, and the Lamb. I mean, we see worship. You know, God is, is worthy of our worship. He genuinely is. Uh, Genesis chapter 28, verse 16 says, And then Jacob woke up and said, Now, remember who Jacob is. Jacob is on his way to his uncle's house. He figures he needs to go to his uncle's house. Dad recommended him to spend some time with his uncle because Jacob's name was supplanter. That's what it meant, deceiver, you know. And, and Jacob had just, you know, because dad's getting ready to die, Jacob had just tricked his dad because his brother and him, they were twins, but his brother was born first. And so Jacob wasn't supposed to get the, the birthright and get all the blessings and all that went to the oldest son, even if you're only older by a minute or two. But Jacob tricked his dad into giving him the birthright and all the blessings. So Esau was a hunter. He was a rough kind of a guy. He was more of a warrior mentality. So Jacob is fleeing from his home and he's going to his uncle's house in hopes that he don't die, you know. Uh, by the, at the hand of his brother. So on the journey it says, and then Jacob woke up and he said, surely, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. Is it possible that you could be somewhere and God would be there present to, to meet every need and to to provide everything you have. Is it possible that you and God could be in the same place and you were unaware that he was there? Is that possible? Absolutely. Is it possible that maybe God is present here today to provide for you or to heal or forgive or, or save or restore? Is it possible that he could be here to do something like that for you, but you were unaware of it? It's possible that we are not consciously aware of his presence with us. And that's what Jacob is saying here. Jacob woke up, he'd spent the night there, basically, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. And he was afraid and he said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the gateway to heaven. Now, Today, is the gateway to heaven, is it found in a geographical location? No. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can get to the Father except through Christ. And that can be anywhere on the planet, anywhere in the world. And the presence of Almighty God can be anywhere in the world. And you become aware of that, you know. We have that opportunity. And then he goes on to say in verse 18... He says the next morning he got up very early and he took the stone that he had used as a pillow. Now, how many of y'all use a big stone for a pillow? 
not too many people that I know of, we usually kind of gravitate towards something a little softer. It's got feathers in it or it's got foam in it or something or another, right? But it says uh, that he had used a stone and he took this stone that he had used as a pillow and he set it upright. Now, it could have been long and kind of a, a certain shape that his neck would have just fit it perfectly, I suppose. But it says, and he set this pillow upright as a memorial pillar, okay? So his pillow became a pillar, a memorial pillow and pillar. And, and we see that in cemeteries all the time, don't we? Don't we see stones that are set up? So we remember our loved ones who passed on before us. We have their, their, their dates of their birth and of their, their, their death and things like that and a little uh, a gold nugget, you know, a scripture or a thought or something on there so we don't forget. And here, uh, that's what's happening here. He took that pillow, you know, set it up as a memorial pillar. And then it says he poured olive oil over it and he named the place Bethel, which means the house of God though the name of the nearby village was Luz. And then Jacob made this vow. He says, if God will be with me and protect me, and you got to understand, he is fleeing the wrath of his twin brother who is more of a warrior, you know. He's, he figures he's pretty ticked off because he cheated him out of his inheritance and all. And it says, and then Jacob made a vow, if God will be with me, and protect me on this journey and give me food and clothing. And isn't that what God does? He protects us. He provides us with food and clothing and things like that. He says, if he will do that, and verse 21 says, and if he will bring me back safely to my father's, to my father in time, then I will make the Lord my God this memorial pillar will become a place for worshiping God. He said, I'll remember this, and this will be a special place where I'll come and worship God, and part of my worship, I will give God a tenth of everything he gives me. This, you see, is a very important part of worship. When he is our magnificent obsession, and sometimes people think, well, oh, you twist them out. No, 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 no. This is a privilege. This is something that Jacob came up with. He says, Lord, I, I see that you are the provider and you are the protector in all this. And, and, and I will come back here and I will worship and I will give you a tenth of everything that you give me. Where does what we have come from? It all comes from God, to be honest with you. And you know, our stuff is just a reminder. You know, um, I have some here in my pocket. If I can get it out there. It's tangled up with something else in my pocket. And there's something else in my pocket. That's what you got pockets for. You do know that, right? To carry stuff and all. But I've got these pair of pliers here. These were my dad's pliers. And he had them ever since I was a little, little fellow. They didn't have Leathermans back in those days. My dad was a, well, he was in the Air Force and he was a, he was an instructor, taught people how to work on airplane engines and all like that. And then when he got out of the Air Force, he was a mechanic and all. And then uh, the guys who came in to the Buick dealer there and he worked on their cars, 
there were some men of influence and they were building a new school down in uh, Lancaster, South Carolina, a vocational school, part of the high school, and they saw his credentials and they hired him. So my dad, most of my remembering life was a school teacher. He taught automotives. And uh, he had these little pair of pliers. Now he had a massive shop with every tool you could imagine, but he helped so many people, me many times, but he could fix somebody's car with that pair of pliers. Can you believe that? It's so little, but if you look at it, it is so worn. And these handles were out further at one point in time, but bearing down on them and fixing things and, you know, whether it's a battery cable, just fixing that or really disassembling a car, it's amazing what he could do or even pull out his kid's splinter or something or another. But when my dad went to be with the Lord, my mom, and she's here today, and then she's getting ready to head on back to South Carolina before too long. And, uh, but when my dad went on to be with the Lord, she gave me his pliers, you know. And they're very uh, comforting to me. When I open my drawer where I, I lay them at, I, when I see them, I think of my dad. Can't help it. Every time I see those pliers, because I've seen him so dozens and dozens of times helping somebody on the side of the road. Somebody's cars broke down. They can't get it cranked. They can't this, that, and another. And that's all he would have with them a lot of times is that little pair of pliers. But it's amazing what his skill allowed him to do with that pair of pliers. So we understand that there are things that we have, right, that remind us of someone else. And, and this is what uh, Jacob is talking about here when he's saying, as he sets up this memorial pillar, he said, I'll come back here and I'm going to worship here, you know, because... The stuff that we have, does God really need our stuff? Really, honestly? I mean, is he going to have to lay off some angels in heaven if, if we don't give him some of our stuff? I don't think so. Not at all. But see, our stuff reminds us of who gave it to us and that we're partners with the Almighty. And, uh, you know, he wants us to remember him. He wants us to become aware of his presence every day, every hour, throughout every day of every hour, of every week, of every month, we can be keen, become keenly aware of his presence with us. And it says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, well, let me ask you, have you ever seen uh, this TV program? I think Susan and I saw it. I think we must have been at her mom's house when we went down south, and uh, it was a, she had the TV on. And it's a, a TV program called Hoarders. Apparently you have seen it, all right? I don't even need to give you a definition of what hoarding means, do I? You know, if you ever saw that. You know, it's very interesting and all. But anyhow, the Bible says in Matthew 6, 19, it says, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths. Now, anybody here ever have any moths? Some of you are going like, it's none of your business if I have moths or not. Well, I've had moths, okay? And I'm sure it's because Susan's got grains and all that. I'm sure it's the gluten stuff that the moths come after, you know? They won't come after that gluten-free stuff, you know, that I eat. But, uh, yeah, so we've had some moths. Probably came from flour or something like that from time to time. Oh, I love them. You know, they're great, you know? Uh, we got our kids uh, at Christmas time. I couldn't help it, but we bought them all assault rifles. You're going, oh, no, Pastor Ron. Yeah, but it's a little plastic thing, and you pump it up, and you put salt in it. It's a salt rifle. You know what I'm saying? 
Seriously. And, and it's designed for chasing them malls down. It's awesome. You go around with that thing there, you know, you got to shake it and get the salt in it there and you pump it up and you see them off and you shoot him, blows his wings off, he falls on the ground, you wipe him up, you throw him in the garbage can. It's good practice, you know what I'm saying? So you, so you know what, a, I just want to make sure you understand what a moth was. You know, they've had malls that eat your, your, your food. They have malls, I reckon, that can eat up your, if you've got wool, certain different kinds of clothes and all, they, they can eat that kinds of stuff up. But anyhow, it says here, don't hoard treasure down here. You know, Susan's not here to correct me today about telling you that we have had malls in our house. We love them. Bam, bam, you know, and all. Anyhow, she's watching this right now on the line there. But it says, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust. You ever get a flood in your basement or something? Anything that's metal gets rusty after a while? It says, don't hoard treasure here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. You ever had anybody steal something from you? We have. I mean, you feel really violated when somebody breaks into your home and takes something that ain't theirs. We've had people break into church and take things that weren't theirs as well. You know. But then he goes on and he says, he says, don't hoard that stuff that the moths can eat and people can steal and they can rust. But he says, stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and you'll end up being. Now, how many of you want to end up in heaven one day. I think we all do, you know. And he says here, he says, it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. <clears throat> and there are many, men and women of years gone by, we're, we're going right now, Faith Living Church, we're into our 39th year as a church. Although we were here a year before as a Bible study, you know. So we're into our 39th year here. And there's men and, and women who are in heaven now. They're walking on them streets of gold who uh, made the investment. They had been praying that God would do something in Southington. Genuinely, they had. I didn't know it, but God sent this little old country uh, fella up here who really didn't know what he was doing, but he just loved the Bible, you know, and his wife and his son, you know, he sent us up here and we started a little church, you know, uh, 39 years ago, you know, into our 39th year and all. But they made investments of their prayer, of their time. They made investments. They're the ones who bought this building. Many are still around now, right in this room, but there are many who are already in heaven, but they made investments, you know, keeps the rain off of us. It keeps us warm in the wintertime. It was part of their worship. And that has helped to continue to extend the kingdom of God and to give opportunity for it to advance and, and reach more men and women, boys and girls. <clears throat> so it says, it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be. You know, and when I look at our vacation Bible adventure and our outreaches and I see how many people sign up and get involved and I know uh, these people 
They worship God, not just with their time, I mean, not just with their monies, but with their time and their energies, you know, their resources to make an eternal difference in this community in which we all live. Um, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with most of your heart. Y'all were really quick on that, weren't you? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I reckon there's times when we trust him, but we don't totally trust in him. Maybe half-hearted. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Our own human logic and the way sometimes we got things figured out is not the same as the way God's got it figured out. God uh, works in the supernatural, but we don't always include that in our, our, our logic or our thinking. But he says here, <clears throat> trust in the Lord. He who is our magnificent obsession, trust in him with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he'll show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom, that human wisdom, maybe something you, you got out of school somewhere, and I'm not against school, I'm not against education at all. Once upon a time, though, I had my diplomas and my degrees and things, you know, up on the wall close to my desk. After a while, you know what looks better on the wall? Picture of a fish, you know, that you're really in, or something like that. Now, that's worthy of space on a wall, you know. And uh, anyhow, he says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord. Now, fear the Lord don't mean be scared of God. The fear of the Lord, it says in Proverbs 8, 13, it says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, we hate evil like we would hate a rattlesnake because if you hate a rattlesnake, you won't mess with it because a rattlesnake can separate you from life, right? And evil can separate us from God. So the fear of the Lord, it's really talking about respect, reverence. It's talking about worship. So he says here, don't be impressed with your own wisdom Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have, what does that say? Four? How many of you got a body? How many of you like the idea of healing? He says, then, when you trust in the Lord, even if it don't make logical sense, you trust God's word, you trust what he says, and he tells us to seek his will in all we do. When you're not being impressed with your own wisdom, he says, then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. How many of y'all got bones? We'd just be like a uh, you know, jellyfish if we didn't have bones. And, and what's the significance of our bones? It is our structure. It keeps us upright and all. But if I'm not myself, well, what's that substance that's on the inside of bones? Marrow. Do you ask where our blood is manufactured at? In our bones. I mean, bones are pretty important, aren't they? And he says here, uh, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. And then he says, honor 
not dishonor, but honor the Lord with your, what's that word? Honor the Lord with your wealth. And there is a way to honor him with it, and there is a way to dishonor him with it. You know, depends on what your magnificent obsession is. But it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the leftovers of everything that you produce. Oh, I'm sorry. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part. And if we go, well, let me let, me let Uncle Sam take out my, my taxes and uh, let me take out some maybe some retirement or some places they'll, they'll take out some money to save for your Christmas spending and let me take out this and maybe a little vacation time and let me take out this and this and oops, I'm sorry, there's nothing left over to give to God. You know what? I'll give you some of the stuff I got in my closet for the tax sale, okay? But see, the Bible says, and this, goes, this has to do with trust and not leaning on your own understanding. Our own understanding says we never have enough. But he says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the, what was that word again? The best part of everything you produce. He's talking about here off of the top. And then he says what he's going to do to you, you know. Then he will fill your barns with grain. That's talking about prosperity. He's going to fill your barns. You, you planted, you grew the crops, you've harvested them. They're in the barn now to eat or to sell or trade. He'll fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. He's telling us here. And this genuinely is part of our worship to Almighty God. It's uh, the best part. It's not the leftovers. And then he tells us here in Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, later on, God tested Abraham's faith. Now, I, Abraham is one of my heroes. I love Abraham. You read about Abraham, you study about Abraham. Abraham is referred to as the father of faith. You know, we call ourselves Faith Living Church, you know, but he's the father of faith. He, he believed God. He trusted in God even when it didn't make sense, you know. It, it didn't have to make logical sense. If God said so, he just believed Almighty God. So it says later on, God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. He says, take your son, your only son. And do you remember that God had promised Abraham a son when he was young? He promised him that he would have a son and his children would be as numerous as the stars of the heavens and as numerous as the sands of the sea. That's what God told Abraham. But now Abraham had tried to adopt a, a, uh, a nephew that would be the fulfillment of that promise. And God said, I didn't tell you it was going to be a nephew. And then Abraham and his wife Sarah, they tried to figure out how to do it. And Sarah said, hey, here, here's my, my servant girl. You know, you go and have a relationship with her, you know. And Abraham was going, well, honey, if that's what you want, you know. <laughs> Wasn't too smart. But then they, the, him and, and the servant girl had a baby. You remember what that baby's name was? Ishmael, a work of the flesh. And anyhow, it got to the place when Abraham was 100 and his wife was in her 90s. And they basically come to a place where God, ain't no way we can do it. If anything happens now, it's all you. And God goes, I was waiting for you to get to that place. And then God gave them a baby boy. 
Remember what his name was? Isaac. That was the promise that God had given. And it was very significant, a powerful promise that God had given to him. And it says here, Genesis 22, 1, it says, Later on, God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. And Abraham, Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. See, God didn't count the work of the flesh, the, 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 the work that was not of faith, trying to do this on his own, a sinful act. He said, take your son, your only son, that was the promised son, Isaac. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. You know, and God's basically saying, hey, how much do you love me, Abraham? And then God says, and go to the land of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. You know, they would kill a lamb, and they would build an altar, and they'd put the lamb on it, and they would set the wood on fire, and they would sacrifice it to the Lord. That was part of the, the sacrificial uh, worship and the serving of God in years gone by. And he's telling, God is telling Abraham, to do this to his son. And he says, sacrifice him there on a mountain, on one of the mountains, which I will point out to you. And you know something that true worship is not cheap. It's, not, it's just like salvation. Salvation and forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. You know, Christ paid his very lifeblood for that. But then he goes on to say in verse 3, it says, the next morning... God told him to take and go sacrifice his son like he would normally sacrifice a ram or something. And it says, in the next morning, Abraham got up, what? Early. Wouldn't you have thought that he would have gotten up late? Had just as much time with uh, Isaac as he could? But it says, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey. He saddled it himself. And he took two of his servants with him. And he had a whole bunch of servants. And he took two servants with him along with his son Isaac. And then he, Abraham, chopped wood to build a fire for a burnt offering because on those mountaintops, there was no wood. Oh, a little scrub brush, but there was nothing really to build a good fire with. So he chopped the wood himself. And, and it helped me to understand that when I remembered about this missionary who was a missionary on this big island to reach these primitive native people. And one of the young men who had come to know Christ one day brought the missionary's beautiful shell. It was just glorious, this fantastic shell. And he gave it to the missionary because he knew he would appreciate it. And the missionary said, well, there are none of these particular kind of shells or these shellfish what lived in that anywhere around here. The only place these things grow is on the other side of the mountain. And that would have taken a long walk to get there and back. And the, uh, the young man said, you know, he said, walk, part of the gift, you know. So he considered his journey, the long walk, is part of his gift to his missionary friend there. So we understand as Abraham was getting ready to go up, you know, on this mountain and to sacrifice his son, he chopped the wood himself. He didn't have a servant do it. He didn't even have his son to do it he chopped it himself and then it says and they set out for the place where God had told him to go now we're looking at verse uh, Genesis 22 verse um, 4 it says and on the third day 
And there may be some, some significance. There's other places in the Bible that talks about the third day. And on the third day of the journey, Abraham saw the place in the distance. Verse 5 says, and he said, stay here to his servants. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the young men. The boy and I will travel a little farther and we will do what? We will worship there and then, what's his next two words? We will come right back. That was faith speaking. Abraham was the father of faith. And one thing about Abraham, he knew God. He knew God's nature. He had an awesome relationship with God. And as you read your Bible, you will find in other places in your Bible where it says that Abraham knew that if he sacrificed his son, even if he did die, that God could raise him from the dead. That's what the scripture says. And he knew the nature of God because this son, Isaac, was a fulfillment of a promise. So Abraham trusted in the Lord with all of his heart. He wasn't leaning on his own understanding, on his own logic. So he says in verse 5, Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the young men. The boy and I will travel a little farther, and we will worship there, and then we will come right back. See, worship is a deliberate separation unto God, separating ourselves from all that would try to distract us. It says in verse 6, Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the knife and the fire. And, as a, and, and the two of them went on together. You know, they didn't have matches and lighters like we have, and they could build a fire with a flint and a piece of steel or with a bow drill and things like that, but it took a long time. So they would often just carry a uh, container of some kind that they would carry the hot coals in to start a fire when they got to their destination. And that's what they were doing there. But we must, you know, say as Abraham did, what a powerful example this is to us, to all of our, our cares and all of the things that business affairs, all of our hobbies and, and those things. We got to sit along with Abraham. Now you stay right here. All those things that distract us. And I'm going to go a little further on by myself, and I'm going to worship God. Because there's a lot of people who go, well, I just got so much going on. I got so many things happening right now. I just don't have time to worship God. I'm going to tell you, if you're too busy to worship God, you're too busy. Because, see, he gave you the breath that you just now took. He gave you that one. He gave me that one. Everything that you and I have that is good, it came from the almighty God. And we must make time to worship him in reality, in spirit, and in truth. And anyhow, so what valuable lesson we learn here, uh, there in uh, chapter uh, 22, Genesis, verse 5, where he says, stay here with the donkey. You know, Abraham told the young man, the boy and I will travel a little further, and we will worship, we will worship there, and then we'll come right back. He was speaking faith, but he was telling you and me, in order to worship, we got to get away from those things that distract us. And I don't care how important it seems to be, it's not more important than your breath, is it? And your, your, your next thump of the heartbeat. So we need to say, hey, you got to stay there 
you know, and I needed to spend some time worshiping God alone. That's just the truth of that, you know. Um, you ever see children give presents to their parents? I mean, little kids, two, three, four, five years old. Now, when a child sees mommy, daddy's got a birthday coming up, or maybe Christmas or something's coming up, and and uh, so mommy and daddy gives the child some money. You ever done that? Then you drove them to the mall, and you helped them buy whatever it is that they wanted, even if he squinted to do it, you know, or something or another. And then you probably had to wrap it for them. But then they take it as their very own package and present, and they can't wait to give you a birthday or a Christmas present. They're so excited about it. Are you excited about it? Absolutely. Your kid loves you so much. They gave you. Oh, how did you know? But it's so valuable to you. And even as years come and go, and they're married, and got kids of their own now, and if you happen to see that item in your home, how valuable it is, although you really paid for it, you took them shopping for it, you wrapped it, and they just took it and took ownership for a little while, and then they gave it back to you. That's kind of what we do with God. Because everything we have, it came from him. It all came from him. It says in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 9, it says, The people rejoice over the offerings. Now here we're going to see David and all these people that they they uh, contributed and they built a temple that would they could worship God at and it would help advance God's purposes on this earth. And as people came and gave willingly, it says, the people rejoiced over the offerings for they had given freely, freely. There was nobody twisting their arm behind their back to give. It says that they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord and King David was filled with joy. And then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is greatness. You know what? I don't need to leave you hanging here, do I? What happened to Abraham and Isaac? They went up that mountain... And Abraham took the wood and he laid it on piles of stone and he made an altar and then he tied up Isaac. And the, the, the fire was sitting right there to put on the wood and Abraham took his knife ready to sacrifice his son Isaac. This is not logically something that you should do. But he took the knife and with full force, as he would have done to a ram, he came down and an angel caught his arm and he says, hold up here, Abraham. And God spoke and, and God knew your heart. But the truth of it is God already knew his heart. Now Abraham knew what Abraham would do. And God stopped him and says, okay, I, I see and you see where your priorities are, where your love is at. And then he untied his son from the altar and he heard something over in the thicket over there. What was it? 
It's a ram. And they went and got the ram that was all tangled up in the thicket and they brought it over and they sacrificed the ram instead of Isaac. And what a powerful example that was because the ram died in Isaac's place as Jesus, the Lamb of God, died in your place and my place. What if Abraham had not gone up on that mountain and not been willing to obey God? We would have left, uh, lost a rich object lesson of the sacrifice that was made for us. Anyhow, moving back over here to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, let's pick up here in verse 10. It says, And then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Riches and honor come from you alone, for you rule over what? Everything, power and might are in your hand, and it is at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. If you have ever accomplished anything great in life, it's because God gave you the ability to do it. We cannot pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That's for sure. It is at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you have already given us. Kind of picture the little kid, you know, who got the, the birthday present for mom and dad. Everything. Transportation, wrapping the gift, all of it came from them. And it says here in verse 15, we are here for only a moment. You know, we're pilgrims passing through, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God himself. We're here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O oh Lord, our God, even these materials that we have gathered to build a temple to honor you, to honor your holy name, it came from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and you rejoice when you find integrity, when you find honesty, when you find truth. You know I have done all this with good motives and I have watched your people, I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. See, that's what worship is. It's love. Responding to love. It's our heart responding to God's heart, you know. In Genesis chapter 32, verse uh, uh, 24, and we're getting back over here to Jacob. It says, now Jacob has already gone. He has uh, went to his uncle's. He's lived there for quite a few years. He's gotten married while he's there. He has become extremely, extremely, extremely wealthy. 
His wealth surpasses the wealth of his uncle now. And anyhow, Jacob is going back to see his dad and bringing all of his possessions and his family with him. And anyhow, they're about their business, and Jacob is alone. It says in Genesis 32, 24, And this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came, a man came, and wrestled with him until dawn. And when the man saw that he couldn't win the match, he struck Jacob's hip and knocked it out of joint at the socket. And then the man said, let me go, for it's dawn. But Jacob panted, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter, you know. Verse 28 says, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him, it is now Israel. Israel, the God ruled man. Your name is no longer deceiver, but your name is the God ruled man. Because you have struggled with both God and men, and you've won. Verse 29, and what's your name, Jacob asked him. Why do you ask, the man replied, and then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has not been spared. It wasn't just a normal man he was wrestling with. He says, I've seen God face to face. I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. The sun rose as he left Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip, for the Lord had touched it. And that limp reminded him he is no longer a deceiver, but he is a man who's ruled by God. God changed his name and changed his character, called him Israel. You're familiar with that word, are you not? You know, and it says in verse 32, and that is why even today people of Israel... They don't eat meat from near the hip in memory of what had happened that night. And you know what? We need to have such an encounter with God. An encounter with God that changes our priorities, that changes our character, that changes our life forever, where he genuinely becomes our magnificent obsession, where ain't nothing more important than almighty God himself, and where we, like Abraham, Trust him emphatically. I mean, with all of our heart, even if it don't make logical sense to other people, we trust what he says and what he does, and we worship him with all, all of our all, whatever that might be, with our time. And you know what? Some people graciously give their money, but they don't give God their time or their energy or their heart. But when we begin to worship God with our, with our all, when uh, Jacob, you know, uh, got through wrestling there with God, he, he had a physical limp. And emotionally, he was exhausted. But spiritually, he was transformed. He was changed. So,
Things I do to preach the gospel. This is not a sacrifice here. The coconut is moist. And this milk chocolate is creamy. It's been in my pocket. It's a little warm. Mmm. And that looks like a roasted, toasted. I wish I had enough of these to give you guys some. Oh. Whoo. Mm. Man, that's delicious. Mmm. Y'all still here, that's right. Um, I want to read this scripture. Wow, that just flavor just kind of hangs there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that like satisfies. Woo! You know what? Oh, man. Good stuff. I only got one more verse for you. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. And it says, Thank God for his son, a gift to wonderful for words. I mean, unspeakable, we're talking about here. Uh, beyond description, beyond words, it says, Thank God for his son. He is amazing. He's awesome. He's wonderful. He's fantastic. A gift to wonderful for words. I'm talking about indescribable. You know, that's a good slogan. We should put on these little candy bars here. Indescribable, indescribably delicious. You ever heard such a thing like that? If I only had time, I would try to describe it to you again, but I don't have enough time. I want to listen to a song, and then we're going to close. But it's important when he becomes our magnificent obsession, sometimes, sometimes words just fail to explain him to other people. You try to explain how good God is, and your words fail to, you know what I'm saying? So, at the end of the service, in just a couple of moments, our ushers will be there at the door, and you can experience one of these for yourself, okay? Because it's better experienced than it is explained. But let's listen to this song together.
candy bar was it don't compare to the son of God he is indescribable 
And though we could talk about him for hours and days and talk about his awesomeness and his greatness and his goodness and his love, we would still fall short of really grasping the reality of who he is. But you can experience him and words will fail you to pass it on. We'll try to, but he is indescribable. And for those who are here today who know him already, you know what I'm talking about. And I would ask you to join me as we reaffirm our faith in he who is indescribable. And maybe you're here today and you've never, you know, expressed faith in Christ at all. You've never received his forgiveness and his pardon, understanding that he ransomed you from your sins. So I would ask you, those who are in this sanctuary and those who are watching online or anywhere in this building or listening somewhere else to a DVD, would you declare your faith in Christ today? And may he become your magnificent obsession who has given you every good thing you have. And then as we give back to him our time, our energy, our monies, our resources, as part of who we are, as part of our worship, as partnering with him, you will never, ever, ever be dissatisfied when you come to know Christ. He is indescribable and he is out of this world. And we will live with him throughout all eternity one day. But I'd like to give you an opportunity to pray with me right now to reaffirm your faith or to declare your faith for the first time. Would you pray with me right now? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. That's why you sent your son Jesus. I believe that he died in my place and paid for all of my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I welcome Jesus inside. As my Savior. As my Lord. And as my King. I'm sorry for my sinful ways. And I choose this day. To live my life for you. And may you become. My magnificent obsession. In Jesus name. Amen.